Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Let's pray. Father, breathe on us with your Holy Spirit and fill us. Speak to us today and guide our hearing of the word so that we might find wonderful comfort in you and confidence to face today and tomorrow in your presence. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we heard um, Isaiah chapter 43. We heard of God doing a new thing. And how do we get to that though? Where does that come from? Where does this new thing spring forth from? This thing isn't working. Can you hit the next button, Lee, for the next slide, please? What actually happened in Isaiah chapter 38, uh, King Hezekiah, remember King Hezekiah? There weren't very many good kings in the Old Testament, were they? But King Hezekiah was one of the good kings. He was a good king and he's on his deathbed and uh, Hezekiah... Uh, didn't want to die and he turned and he faced the wall and he prayed because he didn't want, he didn't want to go and uh, through the prophet Isaiah the Lord spoke to him and promised to add 15 years to his life and do you remember what the sign was that uh, the Lord uh, gave to Hezekiah to actually show him that that promise would come true? Do you remember what the sign was? No, the dial of Ahaz, the sun, the steps... And, uh, and the Lord actually made the shadow on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. Uh, I was watching a show once on science and they, they're looking for these hours in the universe that were, that were lost that they can't account for and they thought maybe this was it. Who knows? That's the Lord's business. But he makes the shadow uh, on the dial move back ten steps and in the meantime there's a king in Babylon who's rising up and he hears that Hezekiah has been sick and he's recovered and he sends uh, an ancient version of a glad you're feeling better card and while he does that he sends a gift as well. And Hezekiah in the spirit of the, of the um, king of Babylon as he sent it he received the envoys or those messengers and their gift and he did something. He showed them all the, all, all, everything that was in his treasure house. He showed them all the silver, all the gold, all the spices and the precious oil. He showed these envoys from Babylon all of his armoury. I mean, everything he had. He showed these uh, people from uh, Babylon everything in his storehouses. And in chapter 39, verse 2, it says, There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah comes along to Hezekiah and he says, who are those guys? Who are those guys that you were talking to? He knows. And he says, oh, they were sent from Babylon. And, and Isaiah says, well, what did you show them? He says, well, I showed them everything. There was nothing in, in my house and in my realm that I didn't show them. And Isaiah prophesies. And he says, days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your ancestors have stored up until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Nothing shall be left. And that's where we arrive. That's where we're actually positioned today in Isaiah 43 and what the Lord is saying because that prophecy came to pass 
and these people were exiled and they were carted away to a foreign land and they were disciplined for their idolatry and their refusal to listen and their disobedience and so they sit in Babylon. And I think this is a bit hard for us, it's a bit difficult for us to try and imagine. We can maybe imagine losing our home and being separated from loved ones or losing them. We can get that, we experience that. But being completely conquered as a people, I think that's actually a foreign concept to us. And these people, I mean, even though they'd sinned so boldly, their whole identity, their whole lifestyle was tied up in who they were as God's chosen people. Everything they did on a daily basis was was linked to that and so they've been carted off. And I think it would be uh, the best comparison I can, I can think of is to compare us being dragged off by an Islamic nation, being taken out of our country, being taken out of our homes, being dragged off to a foreign land, another country, living in a completely different culture in captivity to that, hearing the uh, Islamic prayers happening every day and longing, longing for Australia, longing for this land that we, that we love longing to actually, uh, for the joy of sitting in Trinity Lutheran Church on a Sunday uh, because it was a freedom that we had and now it's been taken away and we don't have it anymore. And you would long for that. We would long for that. And so the people of Israel, they need God's help. They're desperate for it. They need something new and something really big to happen. And so do we, don't we? We need something big to happen too. And so God speaks to conquered people, a message that will lift up their heads and get their full attention. Next slide, please, Lee. And this is what he says. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What do you think he's talking about? What's that imagery? Where is there a way in the sea? Where is there chariot and horse and army and warrior? Exodus. Next slide. Exodus. And what did those big waters do? Those mighty waters, they parted, didn't they, by God's power as Moses pointed to it and they went through and, and, and Pharaoh was pursuing the people wanted to conquer them and the waters came down and you imagine with waters of that much force coming down on you, you you can't get up, you can't get up, you're sucked under, you're down on the ocean floor and, and you're extinguished. What it's saying is they are dead. He's talking about the exodus from Egypt and why that's important is because for the Israelites, the exodus is like this focal point in their lives. You know how we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ every week? We talk about that, we actually apply it to our lives, we continue to go back to it, we remember the lengths that the Lord went to for us to rescue us from the grip of sin and the powers of hell. We do that every week. Well, that's that's what the exodus is for the Israelites' people. It's like going back to the cross. They go back to the exodus. They go back to, it's such a part of their history that they're always going back to it just like we do with the cross. And that theme of redemption, that theme of exodus, You'll find it right through the Old Testament and the New Testament, right to the very end of the Bible. It's right there. And God is about to do something patterned on the Exodus, a new thing, something momentous, something huge. He's about to do it for God's people all over again. 
And so he says, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. If that isn't such a beautiful and clear articulation of the Gospel, I don't know what is. That is a clear, articulated message of the Gospel. I am about to do a new thing. I will make a way. I will be honoured. I give water. I give rivers. I give drink. I form a people for myself whom I love. My praises shall be declared through your lips because the new thing that I am doing is going to give you the greatest joy. The greatest joy. There's the Gospel. God's power at work in us and for us. But we, friends, are very, very complicated and complex people. Remember what he said. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Well, that's pretty hard for us. Sometimes the past for us has been so significant, our flesh clings to it. It actually feeds on, it, on, feeds on the past so that the future becomes just too daunting to actually comprehend or participate in. We, we cling to what's gone before and so we end up in such fear that we can't even comprehend or, or even imagine what might come tomorrow, what God is doing. Fear closes that out. And so Luther says to do something new, speaking to the church, to do something new creates an offence to anyone whose mind is set on the old. And that is why it's so difficult to move an organ in a church or to change the brand of coffee in the kitchen or to do anything like that. That's why it's so hard. And I think, honestly, judging by the smiles on your faces, it's so prevalent throughout our church that it's become a joke from the pulpit, right? And that's actually a problem. It's so prevalent among the people of God that it's that big a problem. It's become a joke and a laughing stock. That's the first thing. The second thing, we can also miss out on this new thing because we actually don't expect God to do anything. Actually don't think that God is going to do a new thing for us or to intervene in our lives or in our problems or the things that have come up. And I earnestly pray that we are not in that ship because that ship's travelling nowhere in a hurry. Absolutely nowhere. As if, it's as if faith is completely historical. It's all in the past, it's all in the traditions, all in the patterns of worship. And in that case, what, what have you got left if that's the case? If everything is, in, is a historical thing, you've got nothing left. All of your focus, all of your energy is going to be on maintaining buildings and keeping people happy inside. That's what it's going to be. It's just a very sad reality. Tell me, are you going to pray expectantly for yourself or for anyone else if all of your faith is completely in the past and historical? Of course you're not. You're going to feel stuck in bondage to your circumstances. You're going to be stuck with your head in your hands wondering what's going on. You're going to be stuck just like the world is. It's going to be no different. 
There'll be no light shining because you'll be stuck with the world with your head in your hands. Everything's in the past. God isn't going to do a new thing because you don't expect him to. And if that's where the church is at, it's at such a low, low, low point. We need an intervention and the breathing of God's spirit poured out into our hearts to revive us and enlighten us and give us hope, new hope. Next slide, please, Lee. God breathes new life into Israel today and we are included, you are included in this promise. We are the true Israel in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And so our Father calls us not to just dwell on the past because he's going to do something new. He's going to do that. The people of Israel, they can be thankful for the exodus and that being part of their story. So can you. You can be thankful. It's part of your story. They can remember it and tell it, tell the story to their children and their children's children. So can you. It's part of your story. But we don't have to gaze back in our mind's eye into history wishing that God would go to work in our lives today because the Lord is present And he is going to do something new and he's going to do something momentous in the lives of his people who cry out to him. Because just like the the Lord heard the cries of his people in Egypt, he hears your cries, he hears what you're crying out for, he hears what you're stuck in. That is God's MO, modus operandi. He delivers and he redeems, that's what he does. He's got his fingerprints all over it. And so the Lord, he called people out of Babylon. He provided a new exodus. But notice that the Lord did so much more for Israel than swinging open a prison door just so that they could walk home to Jerusalem. Notice that? He did more than just swinging open a door. He chose Israel. You are my son. He chose you because his love for you is so great. And swinging open a door of captivity isn't enough because his children might walk out of captivity and just fall prey to the next oppressor, the next one who's going to steal from them and take them off into captivity. So he does more than that. Our God goes before his people that all might know that he is our God and that we are his people. He lights our way. Think of that Exodus imagery, pillar of fire. He guides our feet. He provides spiritual food and drink. And he provides for every need and he exceeds every expectation and he does it all by grace. Imagine that, all by grace. And so those people, they returned to Jerusalem and do you know what they did? What did those people do when they returned to Jerusalem? For those of you who've been having a look at the book of Haggai, you know what they did, right? They rebuilt the temple with the Lord's help. They worshipped the Lord. They settled into their villages and towns and just by the way, when they were building the temple and it stopped, the Lord said, work for I am with you. My spirit is with you. Work, get it done. Don't fear, he says. Do not fear for I am with you. And they settled into their villages and their towns and out of one of those settlements, Bethlehem, house of bread, was born the Son of God. all part of the plan. The son who on the Mount of Transfiguration talked with Moses and Elijah about what else than his exodus 
talked about his exodus, a new exodus, a new thing that was about to take place in Jerusalem, the place where his blood would be poured out for you because that's God's MO, isn't it? To redeem you and to save you. He delivers from sin and death and hell. He redeems you from the grip of Satan who is the Pharaoh of Pharaohs who is the warlord of warlords, a bigger foe than the king of Babylon, is Satan, who would have you shackled and enslaved and dragged out of your heavenly inheritance but for the blood of the Lamb of God that has redeemed you and saved you from his grip. Next slide. And Do you realise that when Jesus died on the cross for you and when he was raised, it was a completed action He died and was raised and it was a completed action but it's an action that continues to have effect in your life to this very moment in history as we sit together today. The power and the rippling effect of the cross of Christ is at work in you today. The cross reaches out through history. It continues to apply its healing power to you and to your loved ones and the people you're concerned about. He applies that power. He offers, he invites to repentance and faith. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, God didn't turn the tap off after the day of Pentecost. He didn't go and shut it off. Nor has the Spirit run dry in our times. The Spirit continues to call people to faith in his Son. The Spirit continues to do that. And so Paul says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Don't stop. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit and there's an abundance of the Spirit. It won't run out. It'll keep filling you. I'll keep doing that because I'm doing a new thing. If if everything was in the past, if your faith was all in the past, none of you would be sitting here today. You live and you breathe. You have your very being You have faith in Jesus Christ because God continues to do a new thing in you, continues to fill your life with his spirit, continues to give you faith. So whatever circumstances, I want you to think about this, whatever circumstances you are facing in the present, right now today, the Lord is here to help you. He is present and if need be, he will carry you through it as he does a new thing. And while we might talk about God opening this door or that door for us when we see opportunities, you know, we talk about that, God opened this door for me. Your heavenly Father isn't content to just swing open doors for you. It's not enough lest you walk through one door and fall into a pit, right? He doesn't just open doors. He's concerned about your spiritual nourishment and life that you know him and that you grow in discernment, not only as you see his hand at work, but as you seek him in every circumstance. To know the safety and to know the security of being found in him. It's a huge thing. God is doing a new thing and you will know, he's got his fingerprints all over it, when he does that new thing because it will exceed every one of your expectations. God doesn't do things by little tiny increments. He'll blow you away. You'll be amazed. It will all be by grace and it will lead you to praise his glorious name. It will give you joy. It will be by grace. 
It will lead you to praise him and it will exceed your expectations. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what your circumstances are, whether you're stuck in something habitual, whether you feel down and depressed, whether your circumstances for you or your loved ones just seem overwhelming and you can't see a path forward, God is doing a new thing. He makes the path. He provides the water. He provides the spiritual nourishment. He guides the way. He will do a new exodus in your life. All praise, glory and honour be unto the Lamb. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are doing a new thing. We thank you that as we walk through the door of church this morning, we come with our own burdens and things that we're carrying on our hearts and we also come in here piggybacking our family and our loved ones and those who we're worried about and concerned about who may not be here this morning but but we love them so much, Lord, and we want them to know you and we want you to do a new thing in their life. Father, we don't want to be people who have no expectations in you but we, we want to believe that you will live up to your word and to your promises because that is who you are. You don't let your people down. You are doing a new thing and so we pray that that would come about in our lives, in our circumstances and in the circumstances of those who we love and cry out for today. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.